Hi, I'm Scott David Chase, and this is the For the Love of Film podcast. This is uh, season four, episode two. Um, this is just the films I've seen at the beginning of the year, the first half of January. Um, a couple of them were 2019 films. Uh, a couple of them are up for some Oscars. So I saw The Irishman, Frozen 2, Underwater, Bad Boys for Life, and 1917. Um, uh, let's see. So The Irishman, it's the latest film from... Martin Scorsese. It was released limited in theaters and, uh, but mostly on Netflix is where that's where most people saw it. And, um, you know, it's up for several Oscars, including, uh, best supporting actor for both Al Pacino and Joe Pesci and best picture, best director, none of which I thought it deserves. Uh, you know, the pedigree in this film, and it stars Robert De Niro and there's a lot of other film, uh, other big name actors in it as well. And obviously, uh, Martin Scorsese is an incredibly well-known, incredibly revered director. Um, and it's based on the book uh, I Heard You Paint Houses by Charles Brandt. But <clears throat> it's three and a half hours long. And, you know, much has been said about the CGI that was used to de-age Robert De Niro, as well as Joe Pesci and Al Pacino to a much lesser degree. But it's just... It's meandering. It's, you know, so many people have talked about how this is, you know, great artists working at the top of their game. They are people that have worked together before and have done great work. This isn't it. This is, you know, it's, yes, it's a crime film. <clears throat> it's, it's incredibly meandering. It, the CG looks terrible and took me out of it many times. And just, Robert Robert De Niro's character, I just don't care about him at all, and I barely care about Joe Pesci's character. And then Al Pacino as Jimmy Hoffa is widely miscast, and he's overacting, doing his typical Al Pacino bombast performance. Um, and I do think Al Pacino is a great actor, but he's just been playing a caricature for so long that it's hard to take him seriously. I can't remember the last time he played a a great role. And it's just, I don't know, it <clears throat> it's mostly long scenes of two men talking to each other, and it's usually Robert De Niro and someone else, and it's, I just, there have been better crime films, there have been better Scorsese films, I just don't get why this is getting so much love, I don't think it's a great film, I, I it's, it's, not even really a good film, uh, I, and I, and, and my opinion is that people who say they love it, are really kind of, you know, nostalgic for the work that these men have done together in the past. Um, you know, Casino and uh, Goodfellas and so many other films. And <clears throat> it's just, I don't know, I did not enjoy The Irishman at all. It was a real chore for me to get through it. I'm, I'd give The Irishman a 4 out of 10. Um, I mean, I think at this point, anyone who wants to watch it has already seen it. Anyway, so I don't think I'm dissuading anyone. But and then two days ago, I saw Bad Boys for Life, which is the third installment in the in the Bad Boys uh, franchise. Uh, Bad Boys Two came out in 2003, so 17 years ago, and it was it's five or six years before the first one. Um, 
you know, this movie was exactly what I expected it to be. It's it was not directed by Michael Bay, who directed the other two, although he was a producer and and has a, a guest spot as an actor in it, playing a wedding DJ. And uh, you know, lo and behold, Michael Bay is also a bad actor. But um, you know, a lot of camaraderie, a lot of explosions. Uh, <coughs> pardon me. I had previously, you know describe this to a couple friends as uh, a cross between Beverly Hills Cop and Lethal Weapon. That's what it aims for. And uh, tonally, it is sort of that. I will say it was nice to have Martin Lawrence back. I haven't, can't remember the last time I've seen him in anything. I mean, I know he works. I haven't seen a Martin Lawrence film in a while. Um, but the rapport between him and Will Smith is, you know, they, they do have genuine chemistry together. So it's nice to see that. Um, you know, Will Smith's character plays against type from what Will Smith normally plays. And it's just, and they further, they do, they do a lot more with the Mike Lowry character, Will Smith's character in this than in other ones, which was not really that believable, but you know, it's a, it's a, it's a buddy cop movie with a lot of explosions. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't great. It was entertaining. If you like these movies, you're probably going to enjoy this. And, a year from now, it'll be <clears throat> completely forgotten as far as the specifics about the movie. Um, I'm sure I'm going to see more films like this this year, but, uh, you know, I was entertained to the to the minimum degree <clears throat> for the two hours that, uh, two hours and four minutes that I sat in the theater and don't ever feel the need to watch it again, but you know, so bad boys for life. Uh, it, it wasn't an embarrassment either. So there's that. Uh, I would give that bad boys for life a five out of 10. <clears throat> I also saw frozen too. Um, I hadn't seen frozen, uh, which is why I hadn't rushed out to see frozen too. I finally got around to seeing frozen back in December and, um, enjoyed it. It's better than, I was sort of anticipating it was going to be, and so much like the How to Train Your Dragon movies, I watched all those right before the new one that came out earlier in 2019. Uh, you know, this was hot off the heels of me seeing the first one, so um, I didn't have a lot of time in between. But um, you know, it, it's nice that there's two ma- two female protagonists in this, just like in the first one. The songs aren't as memorable as in the first one, but, you know, perfectly, perfectly pleasant. Um, Olaf, the snowman who annoyed me in the first one, didn't annoy me that much in this one, or didn't annoy me as much. Um, you know, even though technically the stakes were higher in this than the, than the first one, they seemed less so in this. Um, but you know, the main character's they're compelling to watch together, and I'm sure they're going to make a Frozen 3 at some point. I'm sure this made a ton of money, too. Let's take a look. It did, uh, so it cost $150 million and it made $1.402 billion. So it made almost 10 times its budget. So I'm sure Disney's going to crank out another one. And again, uh, perfectly enjoyable. Um, I don't feel the need to watch either of them again, but I'm sure if there's a Frozen 3, I'll check that out as well. For me, as an adult male, I, I would give Frozen 2 a 6 out of 10. Um, 
first film that I was looking forward to seeing this year was Underwater, which I I started seeing the previews for it probably back in November. It's a science fiction horror film. Um, I enjoyed this more than I was expecting to. I thought it was going to be terrible, especially because it you know came out the first week in January, which is typically a dumping ground for. Uh, I'm sorry, the second week in January, dumping ground for studios. January, February tends to be where projects that uh, are troubled get dumped. Uh, it stars Kristen Stewart and Vincent Cassell in a role that's very different uh, than what he normally plays. Also, John Gallagher Jr., uh, T.J. Miller, uh, Mamunda Alfie, uh, and then Jessica Henwick. A pretty small cast, and it's it's... It's kind of like The Abyss meets Alien, which, you know, The Abyss is fairly reminiscent of Alien. They're workers in an undersea drilling rig, then they hit something on the ocean floor, and something comes out and uh, starts destroying the ship. But the the nice thing is, like, the film starts underwater. It starts with the catastrophe, and it's more or less done in real time over the course of a, a, a taut 90 minutes. Uh, I think it's maybe 94 minutes. Yeah, 95 minutes. Um, Kristen Stewart, we follow her character the whole way. And, you know, a, a lot of people seem to not like her, at least the response that I've gotten from people over the years. But I like her. And, and you know, she's oftentimes noted as having no expressions and, you know, being a low talker, which actually serves this character pretty well. Um, T.J. Miller, who I don't like, played a loud, obnoxious, kind of rude asshole, which, you know, kind of typecasting, but it worked for this character. Uh, so I didn't hate him in this, because, I mean, you're supposed to kind of hate the character, and it works. And, like I said, Vincent Cassell plays a character very unlike what he usually plays. Um, it's science fiction horror. It's more on the science fiction side than horror, and, um... You know, the underwater stuff was impressive. The CG was not, you know, for, for the type of film that this was, I was expecting really bad CG, and it wasn't. It was pretty good. They were wise to keep stuff moving pretty quickly as far as, you know, the creature effects as well. Um, but there was definitely a real claustrophobic feel and a real danger to, to the whole proceedings. And, you know, I... I enjoyed it far more than I expected to. I would give Underwater a 7 out of 10. And then last, uh, I saw 1917, Sam Mendes' uh, new World War One film, which is up for Best Picture, Best Director, um, Best, I believe, Adapted Screenplay. No, maybe Original Screenplay. Um, yeah, it's Original Screenplay. Uh, and and I had kind of known the the gimmick with this was that uh, it's it's done to look like one continuous shot. It's not one continuous shot. There's pretty early on in the film, within the first five minutes, I could see some places where that they were kind of doing some cheats to do it. But nevertheless, it's it's a pretty simple story about two young men who are sent on a quest on on foot over enemy territory to deliver a message to allies to call off an attack because it's a trap and. Um, you know, we stay with them the whole time. Um, we're we're on foot. We're moving the whole time. So it's a very anxiety-inducing film. You know, you're anxious the whole time. Uh, it's a very impressive thing to see how they pulled it off. Um, 
the production design of the film is amazing. The cinematography by the great Roger Deakin is fantastic. Uh, I would imagine this is going to win at least a few Oscars in a couple weeks. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I really enjoyed this. And, and I, I just said to Greg and Bob on our, on our, uh, Oscar picks episode that if I had seen this before we had done our top 20 or our top 10 countdown for, uh, 2019, this would have made it, I don't know what it would have bumped per se, but, uh, I mean, I guess logically it would have bumped whatever number 10 was, but, um, I think this is the best film that I saw from 2019. Not necessarily the one I enjoyed the most, because I think I still liked Booksmart more, but this is a better film, technically. And, uh, you know, um, it's an excellent film. I I highly recommend it. I would give 1917 an 8 out of 10. Um, One of the better war films I've ever seen. And, uh, yeah, I, I... I really appreciate it. I, I think I'm going to try and see it again in the theater because it really should be seen in cinema just to kind of take it all and take the experience in, but highly recommend it. And, uh, yeah, those are the movies I've seen so far in 2019. It's not bad. Uh, um, four movies in the theater and one on Netflix in 19 days. So hopefully I can keep up this sort of pace and, you know, try, try and get an episode out, if not every week, um, every 10 days or so. So we'll see. But yeah, um, this is For the Love of Film podcast. Thanks for listening and go see some movies. Yeah.